I think that I had to sort of understand that what I like that who I am and what I have is valuable. Um, and I had to embrace that in, and really in, in a very tangible way. It gave me, you know, confidence certainly in my own voice, but it also gave me a willingness to put myself out there to be vulnerable. I'm Brian Kramer. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is making smaller shifts. It's the small shifts in our lives that can create epic outcomes. Your journey to be more deeply connected into the life you truly deserve starts right now. Welcome to Humanly Possible, a podcast focused on small shifts that can make epic differences in our lives and at work. I, I'm so excited to introduce our guest, who is someone I admire. We were just laughing, actually. So now I'm trying to hold down a smile as I'm introducing her because she's just fun um, and smart. And uh, well, I'm, I'm so excited to have her on the show. Can you tell? Um, and so... Who am I talking about? I'm talking about Anne Hanley. She's a Wall Street Journal bestselling author who speaks worldwide about how businesses can escape marketing mediocrity to ignite tangible results. IBM named her one of seven people shaping modern marketing. She's the chief content officer of Marketing Profs, a LinkedIn influencer, a keynote speaker, mom, a dog person on steroids, and a writer. And so, Anne, now that you have listened to yourself and I can welcome you finally onto the show, thank you so much for being here and welcome. Oh my goodness. I'm delighted to be here with you, Ryan. Um, it's been too long, so it's nice to connect. <laughs> it is. It's always fun. And, <laughs> and I always love it because there's always a laugh involved. Um, I'm going to jump <laughs> right in and ask you this one question. What's one thing that felt small at the time for you, but it ended up being a big shift? So one thing that was small for me... So I was in, in college and I worked in the placement office where they placed students in internships. And part of the reason why I took that job was strategic because at the time, you know, this was pre-internet. And so at the time, they used to accept student job listings by telephone, right? So they'd call up and they'd say, hey, we need an intern, a student intern over here at you know, this company, we need a student intern at this publication. And I was a student in the English and communications department, particularly interested in publishing. I thought I would be an editor. I thought I would eventually just become a novelist, a writer. And so I took this job thinking that, you know, publishing internships are difficult to come by. And so I thought, you know what I should do? I should be on the front lines. So if I'm the person answering the telephone, <laughs> I'm going to know, you know, I'll get like first crack at all the internships that come in. And so, you know, it's kind of devious, devious, devious slash strategic at the same time, um, because I really wanted to work in publishing at some point. So one afternoon, I'm sitting in the internship office and, you know, the phone is ringing periodically as it did with people looking for students, uh, looking for student placements, you know, that kind of thing. Some students calling in to hear if there were any new jobs posted, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I got a call from a publication called The Banker in Tradesmen. 
which was a business newspaper in downtown Boston covering the banking and real estate industries. And it was, it was, uh, the call was from a woman by the name of Nina Groskin. And she spelled her first name with an E, N E N A. And for some reason, like, I, I don't know if you believe in this, Brian, and I don't always believe in it, but when it happens, I believe in it. And that's that certain things or moments have a kind of energy that, that draws you to them. And I know that sounds like super woo woo, but it really, like, it felt that way. You know, I put it aside and I thought banking and real estate, that makes absolutely like it didn't resonate with me at all personally. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm waiting for, you know, Mick, I'm, I'm waiting for McGraw Hill to call. Like I'm waiting for some big book publisher or some children's book publisher, which was I love young adult fiction, always have. Um, I thought that's the, that's the job. That's the role I want. Um, but I kept looking at this job listing from Nina Groskin at the Banker and Tradesman. At the time, she was the, um, the editor there. And something drew me to it. Again, there was this weird energy about it. And so just for fun, I decided to give them a call. Ended up going in for an interview. Really hit it off with her, with the whole team. I met a few people while I was there. It was just a super fun, young office. And next thing I know, I ended up not only with the internship, but then graduated college. They ended up offering me a job as a reporter. And eventually like worked my way up to senior reporter and then associate editor. And all that to say, like, like never taken a business course, never had any interest at all in banking and real estate and economics and any of the things that we talked about at this newspaper. But the game changer for me was Nina. Like she became my very first mentor and it really taught me the, you know, the, the, the critical role that a mentor plays in a life, you know, for me at the time. As the mentee, it was like, you know, that was so critical for me. But I think about that now, like as I've, I've gone through, you know, <laughs> several decades hence, and I look back and I think about just how important it is to be a role model to specific people, individuals, but also just to, you know, th- th- what you represent, you know, to so many, so many younger people, you know, collectively. And so, yeah, that was a moment that I would have never thought that I that I would have ever grown into that role. But what it did was it teed me up for, yes, a role at as a writer in a way, in a way that I never would have expected. It also just taught me a lot about business and how to run a business. But for the very first time, and this is most relevant to where I ended up ultimately, it put me in a role where I was pleasing an audience, like I was in service to an audience. And whether I was writing about banking or real estate or zoology, like it didn't matter. What information do they need to be more successful in their jobs? Like it was B2B publishing. And you and I both know this, but that's exactly what every single marketer has to do in in modern times, right? So that really was the perfect um, the perfect foundation for what I would ultimately the role I would ultimately grow into. Um, you know, for a couple of reasons, just for like from that from the the growing an audience standpoint, but also the importance, as I said, of, of truly understanding and truly valuing how important a great mentor is, and, and somebody who's fun and can lead you along, and 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 allow you to make mistakes and act like an idiot because you're young and don't know what you're doing, and is so forgiving and and ultimately so loving. Oh, wow, 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 wow! That that's special. Um, 
because it's so hard to find somebody like that or or just land with a connection like that and, and have that in your life. And I, I, I had some, I had that happen to, to me and I can totally uh, connect with that. Um, but what, what's kind of coming up for me is also what was that like to be a reporter? Um, because <laughs> with what you're doing, what, what, with what you've done, or at least what, with what I know of you, um, uh, it, it would seem like that would totally support what you're doing now and it would inform a lot of what you're doing. But also, I, I just, I would love to know like that part of you. Like, how was that being a reporter? Yeah, truth is, Brian, I was kind of a terrible reporter. <laughs> I mean, I just was. I just was not very good at it. And I remember so clearly, you know, Nina and I used to go out to lunch, say once a month or so, like kind of have these check-in meetings. And I remember her telling me literally these exact these exact words. She said, you are such a rock star. And I thought she was trolling me to my face. I thought she was making fun of me. And I, I was just like, how could she possibly say that? I mean, I, I say I wasn't a very strong reporter because I just love to tell a story. And the difference between ultimately being a storyteller and being a, you know, being a writer who uses story to, to engage an audience is a little different than being a straight up news reporter. So, and this would ultimately play through my career. Like from, from the banker and tradesman, I went to the Boston Globe and the same thing happened all over again where they had me writing news. And I was terrible at it because I was always telling the story behind the news. That was the interesting part to me. Um, and so Nina ultimately found that in me. That's what she said. That's what she meant. I mean, when she said that you're a rock star, she meant you're a good writer. You know people. You have a curiosity about people. And you can find the story. Even if it's not always the story that a straight up like journalist would tell. But, you know, in her mind, it was a more interesting story. And so she found a way to, you know, to sort of work with me and, and help me, you know, develop as a professional. Um, and then the same thing happened when I went to the Boston Globe. I also had a really strong mentor there, a guy by the name of Dick Powers, who, who, who functioned in a very similar way, helping me grow and evolve in, in different ways. Um, but yeah, to your question, I wasn't a very good reporter. I didn't mind, you know, talking to people and like getting the facts and all that stuff. Like I was, I was good at that because I think I do have a natural curiosity about people. Like even today, I love reading autobiographies and biographies. I'm really curious about what makes people tick, why they make the choices that they make kind of this kind of meta actually talking to you now that I'm thinking about it. Um, but I love that aspect. And so that was the interesting part to me. The hard part for me was you know, when you're in journalism, and especially at the, you know, journalism at the time was 100% print. This is pre-internet again. So you had only so many column inches to tell a story. And I was the gal going way over every week. They'd cut off my story in the middle and it just would take legs right out from under it. You know, so I was crushed time and time <laughs> again, every single week. <laughs> I so get it. Um, my my degrees in journalism. So uh, my, they would, have us do, uh, you know, in one of the classes, we would spend weeks just look, just, just doing headlines and they had to be X amount of words or down to the, down to the letter, down to the count this many, or they'd cut it off. And I just would be like, this is crazy. I think I'm just going to go into marketing where they don't count. <laughs> 
Yeah, and not only that, but I remember it wasn't even letter count, but you remember it was character count, like how right. how wide a letter was. Like I used to like to use a lot of um, lowercase l's because they didn't take up as much room on a headline, <laughs> so I could cram more words into it. I've always written long. I've always had a hard time writing short. I've always had a hard time writing fast. I am a slow writer. I always have been. And mm. so all of those things that are are prized in daily journalism, at least news journalism, when, you know, back when, um, you know, in the day is, um, and I guess it's true. It's still true today too, now that I think of it. Although all of those things like just were an awkward fit for me. Like I could do it, but I was mediocre at best. But Put me on features, give me a really good story, and you know, which is ultimately where I ended up on in in both situations. Um, put me on features, let me really talk to somebody, really let me really understand, you know, their point of view. I'm I was like all day. I got this. I got this. I can do this. The other piece of it is a little bit is a little trickier. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And so, hats off to the to the journalists that actually are out there making that happen. I we'll we'll give them a special moment right now. Um, so uh, kind of taking a, our own shift here in the in the um in the conversation how how do you look at the shifts in in your life uh, across the board um maybe one that seemed kind of insurmountable like a mountain like a like a kilimanjaro um perhaps there's one <laughs> that stands out and you're like how the heck am i going to get this done and you did how do you get that done so let me think about this for a second. You know, I think, you know, for me, the biggest hurdle that I had to get over, you know, we're going to fast forward now a couple of decades. Um, you know, it left the, I went from the banker and tradesman banking and real estate publication to the Boston Globe. I worked for them for a number of years, freelance. My kids were born, couldn't do newspapers, journalism anymore. The internet happened. Um, and I started a company called Quick Z, which was in 1997, which was one of the first sources of interactive marketing information, right? Nothing really existed like I was it at a the subscriber. time. Oh, that's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Uh, also, also launched the email newsletter there, which, you know, sounds like so pedestrian right now, but, you know, in 1997, 1998, that was like, what? Like, this was the era of listservs, right? People didn't necessarily do email newsletters, at least, you know, B2B email newsletters. So, um, you know, did that, went into the event space, started our very first, our V, I think we had one of the very first email marketing conferences in Boston. We were hoping 250 people would show up. We packed the room with more than 400 and, you know, we were, we were butting up against the uh, the fire codes uh, in that ballroom. Um, but there was a ton of momentum back then, you know. And then from there, went to sold it, went to marketing props in 2002, where, where I've been ever since. But all along, you know, the, the narrative thread throughout has been like my love of story, my love of, of using content as we increasingly came to know it to build audiences, to help people, to help them in their careers, to further that connection. Um, to build the business, yes, but to build it through content specifically and connecting with audiences and, you know, and, and truly cementing those relationships, like not just collecting names and generating leads and all that, you know, sort of stuff. But I mean, my, my favorite part is just connecting with people as individuals. And so that's been the narrative thread throughout, you know, from journalism to the online space. I became like the chief content officer of, of Clixie. We sort of invented this title in order to elevate the importance of content in that role, right? Building that, that audience relationship. Um, 
But one thing that I was sort of thrust into in 2009, 2010 was when I wrote Content Rules with our friends, with our friend Cece Chapman and suddenly found myself in the spotlight in a way that I'd never been before. Because one of the things that I always loved about journalism and actually why I wanted to be a writer to begin with was because it's very much behind the scenes. Like you can hide behind a screen, behind a typewriter, behind, you know, um, behind, behind the words. Like you don't have to put your face out there. And I never wanted to step on stage. You know, we have friends who grew up um, on stage, like they were theater majors in college, or they always wanted to like be in front of an audience, like that's their happy place, that's where they thrive. And for me, it was like, are you even kidding me? Like, no way. Like people used to, like conferences used to call me up and be like, will you come speak? And I'd be like, why? I don't have to do that. There's no way I'm doing that. Like that was always just so terrifying to me. As a, as a kid, I was incredibly shy. But it like went beyond shy. Like I literally didn't want to, like I just never wanted, I never craved the spotlight. Like I, it wasn't just that I was shy. It's just that I never really thought that that was something that I would ever want to do. You know, it's like if you said to me, um, you know, I don't know, why don't you, uh, why don't you just become a man for a year? And I'd be like, why? <laughs> like I'm perfectly happy. I don't want to be a guy, you know, <laughs> like that's so weird. <laughs> That's like how weird it felt. It's just like, there's nothing I would rather do less. Thank you. Like, <laughs> and again, it's not that there's anything wrong with it. Like, I just don't see myself as, as a guy. Like, that's literally how it felt. <laughs> so, um, but then 2010 happened, published content rules. And suddenly my publisher said, so like, good for you. Yay, you're an author. But guess what? You know, Annie Pants, now you're in sales. Like, get out there and sell this book. And that's essentially what really i would i'm not even going to use the word inspired i felt coerced into suddenly being uh. on stage and uh and that's so it's like it's funny to me now but at the time i remember thinking this is not who i am this is not what i do and the very first event that i ever spoke at was in 2009 it was actually just before content rules came out content rules came out in the fall of of 2000 no in january of 2010 this was the fall of 2009 and it was an exact tar target conference. Remember exact mm, target? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, their connections conference and Joel book, um, a good friend hired me to be the keynote for the partner summit. I walked into this ballroom. There were almost 250 people there, something like that. I almost vomited. I almost turned around and walked out like all at the same time. Like it was just so horrific to me. Um, and so I got up, like, so I just had, I had no choice. Like I got up, uh, you know, on, it wasn't even really a stage. It was just at the front of the room. I'm standing behind the lectern the entire time, like clutching, you know? Um, but I did well enough. Like people laughed a few times. Um, I actually reviewed that presentation not too long ago. And I thought, you know, I mean, it's, you know, it was a 2009 presentation from somebody who really didn't know what she was doing. But at the same time, it wasn't the worst. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's kind of what started it out. My heart was pounding so loud in my chest. Like it was like, boom, boom, boom. but I heard it in my ears, you know, like mm -hmm. when you're terrified like that. And I thought, my God, I think I might be having an aneurysm right now. What does an aneurysm feel like? Would I feel it? Or does it just like, it's like hit you like that. Am I going to be, be like flat out? And then my second thought was, you know what? It would be great if I had an aneurysm because then I wouldn't have to do this. And how dramatic would that be to be carried out? Like I have this whole image in my head. Like, <laughs> wow. That's 
That's where I went. Yeah. Very dramatic. Um, anyway, I survived. I went on to like sort of figure out what I was doing on stage. Um, and you know, when you, when you talk, when I talk about it now, like I, it almost feels like I'm like, you know, like there's a montage of like fast forwarding, right? It's like, Oh, well, I got a coach to help me with my stage presence and I really honed my message and I practiced and I evolved and I spoke for free for like forever. You know, I did all of this stuff, but you know, I mean, when I say it in those terms, it makes it sound like, oh, that was easy. But, you know, it was like really hard <laughs> because I was terrified. I was just like completely terrified. And I just can't express to you just how uncomfortable and how I never thought, like I, number one, never thought, like I, I said a few minutes ago, never thought I'd be writing about business. Like, okay, I've, I've done that. But like, second thing was like stand in front of people and talk about like business. Like I know what I'm talking about. And it was just, there's just nothing I ever thought that I would want to do. Nothing. And there, there was no way that I ever thought that I would want to communicate in that way or inspire people in that way. I just didn't see the value. Um, so yeah, so that was like a, it's, it's easy to think about it now as well, of course, like we all go through that, but this was kind of next level. Like I, I had a lot to get over, uh, a lot, a lot of, uh, a lot of the, a lot of ins to surmount, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That, um, you know, there's so many people that go through stuff like that where they're, um, where the stage is, is this big place and, um, it represents, it represents something that, um, stands in the way of something else in their life or in just like, that's not what I signed up for. That's not what I want to do. Or that, that is, uh, I don't, I don't have a voice there. Um, why would somebody want to listen to me? And it's like all kinds of saboteur comes up for getting up on a stage and having a voice for any kind of, uh, place. So now looking back, knowing what you know now, what would you suggest to somebody who's getting up on stage and they have that and they, they're, they are that and then that you're telling them then what you are now? I actually am very grateful that I had that. And so I would tell anybody who is in a similar position that I'm very, I'm glad that you have that too. (laughs) Because, and the reason why I think it was so important for me to go through that, because it's because of what you just said. Like, yes, there was a, there was a stage fear. It wasn't just though that people were looking at me. There was a lot of stuff bubbling just under the surface there, which you just articulated, for example. Um, feeling that, you know, I didn't have anything worthy to add to the conversation or that it wasn't very different than what, you know, Brian Kramer might say, you know, in three rooms over, you know. Um, and so I think that I had to sort of understand that what I like, that who I am and what I have is valuable. Um, and I had to embrace that in, in really in, in a very tangible way. It gave me, you know, confidence certainly in my own voice, but it also gave me a willingness to put myself out there to be vulnerable because being on stage ultimately is not an act of, um, of ego, right? And if it is, you're there for the wrong reasons, right? So it's not about, oh, look at me, look at how awesome I am. Instead, it's showing up very humbly and saying, I have, I have something that I think is important for you to hear. 
and you may not like this. In fact, there's probably a few of you who are going to rate me zero out of five stars on the evaluation forms after I get off this stage. So, but I can't think about that, right? You have to think about, yes, it's an act of vulnerability, but ultimately it's an act of generosity and you have to be willing to be vulnerable to give. And so that's been, that's really the bigger lesson there. I think it's not just about, you know, my ability to step on stage with some bravado and dance around like I do now and sort of not give an F, right? It's not about that. (laughs) Instead, sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Can I swear on this? I wasn't actually even a swear. It was just the letter. So we're good. Um, you you can just you answered, can extend the word as much as you want. I just answered that for myself <laughs> after asking you. So I think that you know it's you know yes I can do all that now, but really what it represents is my willingness to be vulnerable, and and that's ultimately why I think I never thought that I needed to do this. It's like well I'm vulnerable for my words, like I'm already doing that, but being on stage by yourself, having people look at you, judging you, you know, is is next level. And what I had to realize and what I had to internalize, I think, is that I'm willing to make myself vulnerable because the people who love me are the ones who I really want to connect with. And for the most part, you know, people are not jerks. Like they want, like you don't sit in an audience and want the speaker to fail. Like that, it's that they are on your side because no one, like that's such an uncomfortable thing when you are in an audience and you see a, pe- a person struggling. And so there was just a lot of, of sort of internalizing that I had to do of feeling, you know, worthy, feeling supported, being okay with being vulnerable, being okay with the jerks who didn't like you or this one or two in an audience of a thousand, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, and so I think there was a lot of things wrapped up in that. So all that to say, to go back to your question, I'm sorry that I just ran on with that, but, um, you know, so what I would say is that, you know, I think it's a, it's a good place to be because if you're starting from ego, if you're starting from bravado of like, Oh, I can't wait to get on stage. Then I think you're not doing it for the right reasons. You're doing it for you. And if you're not doing it for the audience, then, you know, you're not really doing the job justice. Um, you know, even now, like I, before I step on stage, like yesterday, I spoke at a virtual event, two virtual events yesterday. And each time, right before, you know, the camera turned on and right before I just like did my, you know, shtick, um, I could like, I still could, I I still felt like I could vomit, you know, I still felt like incredibly nervous. And now I understand that I'm not nervous because I'm scared. I'm nervous because I really, really, really want this to go well. And I care a lot. And I, and I've learned to see that, that trigger, like that internal nervousness as not a sign of weakness, but really a sign of, of something good, you know, it's because I want it to go well. I want to deliver what everyone is expecting, people in the audience, the organizers. I don't want to disappoint myself. I want to connect. And if that doesn't happen, you know, then at least it's not because I didn't try my, my very best. Yeah. Uh, well, it, it shows in everything that you do. I mean, I, I remember sitting in an audience and um, you just, uh, I think it was like an IBM event and Brian Fanzo and I were in the audience and you just completely uh, uh, like had this random funny moment and you just popped out and said, and Brian Kramer and Brian Fanzo are here. <laughs> and then you just completely like went off script and just were having so much fun and everybody around us were laughing and it was just like so fun. And when you show up, you show up. It's just a, <laughs> a really fun experience to, I, I, I don't think I'd, seen you uh fully speak like at at a at a at an event that uh 
actually, I don't think I'd fully seen you speak at an event until then. I was, um, and so it was just really fun to see you uh, doing that. And I, I do see you in in that way. You just kind of like show up, and you are just you, and that that's hard to do. Um, that's because people are so scripted when they're up on stage, and they're just so like this is who who and how I'm going to be in this setting versus like when I'm just going to be talking to people instead of just like throwing something out and just trying it and seeing how it, how it goes. So um, really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say that, like, I think that, you know, how I show up on stage is how I'm showing up with you now. It's how I show up with my family. It's, I don't want to, it's too much work to try to, pretend to be something that I'm not or to try to compartmentalize in a way I don't want to have to remember like how I'm supposed to be right now. Um, and I hear that a lot from people like they'll say like, you're so authentic, you know, which is a, a word that I sometimes struggle with is what does that actually mean? Uh, but I think what they mean is that, you know, you, you are exactly how you show up on Instagram, for example, when they meet me in person. And the, I always find that a little bit puzzling. And I, it always like sort of, stops me because it's like, well, how do, doesn't everybody do like, how do you not do that? And I don't really know that I could reconcile that. Like, I don't know how that works for other people. But I do know that for me, like how I showed up as as you're describing going off script is probably just like exactly what I what I would do. Um, and, you know, in, and I wouldn't have done that, you know, in 2010 or 2009, at that exact target thing. Like, I remember being very scripted at that moment. Oh. But but like growing and seeing that, you know, getting more confident, getting, um, you know, sort of honing my message more, you know, all of that stuff gives you the confidence um, and the ability and the willingness, I think, to just, you know, put it all out there because, you know, that's that's all you got, isn't it? Really? It's like, I, I don't know what else you would want to do other than to show up as full, fully yourself. Amen. Amen. And so how did this inform last year? All of this um, was it exciting or not exciting? Uh, when I say exciting, I mean like now you're this person who uh, loved and uh, loved uh, not being on stage. Then you were forced into being on stage, and then you loved being on stage. But then you probably part of you were like maybe being not on stage is kind of cool too. So where did the last year kind of sit with you? It's a little bit of both. I mean, I don't miss the travel. I fundamentally am a homebody. So I love being home. I love being, you know, around my people, around my stuff and my community. I love all of that piece of it. Um, I don't think that I'll go back to traveling the way that I did. I used to be on the road, you know, two cities a week, at least sometimes three in, you know, in the high season of the spring and fall. And I don't think I'll do that again because I don't want to, <laughs> you know, it's that simple. Yeah. Um, I, I missed, um, I, I mean, I have appreciated the past year just, you know, being able to be at home and using virtual environments to, to hone the craft in a, in a slightly different way. You know, one of the things that I love about virtual speaking is that it does give you a little bit of a different take on presenting, right? So for example, on stage, you know, big ballroom, you're one, you're standing in front of hundreds, sometimes thousands of people. And, you know, that's a certain dynamic, right? Because you're up here, they're over there. And you have to like, figure out how am I going to reach that person who's sitting like, in the four, you know, 400th row back there? And how do I make it feel as engaging and relevant for them as the person sitting right here in the front row? Like this kind of thing I think about. 
Um, but when you're in a virtual setup, you know, the distance between you and any single person in the audience is like, what, like two feet between me and a computer screen. And so I think the intimacy that can happen there is, is fun. Um, and so it's allowed me to kind of develop my own style and my own ability to connect with one person at one time, which, you know, if you go back to, that's always what I've loved about publishing, growing an audience, connecting is, is actually reaching one person at one time. So there are some benefits to it. I guess is what I'm saying in the terms of this virtual setup. Um, I mean, that said, I miss my friends. I miss people. I miss going out and, and, you know, and talking to people. I miss those moments of serendipity. Um, Clubhouse it sort of fulfilled that for a little bit, although I definitely cooled on that. It just doesn't seem quite as compelling to me anymore. It feels like it's flatlining a little bit, unfortunately. Um, but well, so yeah, the I Android think I, users I, are, are now uh, picking up on that. So they'll be. They'll be uh, they'll so be taking over for 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 the time. Okay, yeah. So that'll give it a little boost, hopefully. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think you know. I, I guess what I'm what I'm saying is that you know it has been it's been an, a transition over the past year, but I think I will go back on the road again, but not to the degree that I was. I I think just uh, you know fewer events, fewer in person events. Um, and I think virtual is, is absolutely here to stay as well. So I, I can see that continuing on even post pandemic. Um, so yeah, a little of both. Music to my ears. That is, yeah. yeah. Do, you, do you feel the same way about it? Yeah. Oh, I, I absolutely loved it for everything that it, it, it was forced to be, <laughs> if that makes sense. Like it just really mm-hmm. created such a, uh, it was like, it was like all the Buddhists in the world were like, we've been waiting for you. Where have you been? Uh, and we had so much to learn out of this. And for those who took um, the time to learn from this time in the ways that we could, because there was obviously not a lot of, there were some things that were not positive, but there were a mm-hmm. lot of things that were. And for those things that, um, you know, that we were forced into, I think was just, just there were some epic, things about it that I hope get carried forward. Like you just said, um, the virtual ways of being or the hybrid ways of being that we don't have to, you know, go into a herd, uh, a mentality where we all get packed into conference rooms and, and maybe more intimacy is, is the way to way to move forward. Um, yeah, I think that's true. Yeah. I mean, just, and, and just, you know, from a personal standpoint too, just, you know, I know my neighbors now much more so than I ever did. And, you know, my neighbor and I were talking the other day, like we've lived literally three houses apart for, what did she say? She told me the other day they moved in 12 years ago. <laughs> I mean, I knew them like waving, like a waving kind of relationship. But now it's like I see her every single day. And that's just, you know, it's just emblematic of the kind of connection that I think I feel to my, you know, my home life, my neighborhood more broadly, just my friends here than I have for a while. And I didn't even realize I missed that. You know, I never realized that how much I I kind of missed just having that wavering relationship. You know, it's just kind of sad. Um, And so I'm grateful just for those moments, kids in the neighborhood who, you know, have a relationship with my dog now because I got a pandemic puppy back in um, October. So, so, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and, and that's been really a, that's been a beautiful thing. And I'm reading a lot too. Like I've read more books the past year than I have probably in the last five years. So, you know, that's been 
that's been just really a, a gift as well. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot. And hugs. How much did we miss hugs? Mm. Um, mm. You know, you're, um, I just kind of want to close this out by saying that you're, you're a writer, an author, a speaker, you know, a business, a, a, everything. Like you've done so many incredible things. Um, and um, I'm just curious, what's one shift that you plan on making for what you want next? Um, short-term, long-term, however far you want to plan it. Hmm. I mean, I'm working on a new book now. So I'm just, I'm like hesitating because I'm not sure I really want to talk about that right now. <laughs> so, um, I guess I would say it's not a, it's not a shift out of the marketing space, but it's an evolution from the marketing space. So I love marketing um, and I am a marketer. I identify as one, but I also think that a lot of what I have to offer transcends marketing. And so my hope is to, you know, sort of grow my influence, grow my audience um, beyond, beyond marketing without abandoning the people who I, you know, truly feel connected to, you know, which are for the most part marketers, writers, um, all kinds of people. And I think, you know, I have seen signs that that's happening. I publish a, a weekly or a sort of a fortnightly, excuse me, fortnightly newsletter every other Sunday. And when you sign up for the newsletter, you, you know, you'll get an automated um, responder from me that'll say, you know, basically, who are you? Tell me about yourself. What do you hope to learn here? And in the past, I don't know, I'd say six months or so, I've really noticed that so many people signing up for the list who are responding to that auto response email are coming from such different walks of life, which is so different than the past two and a half years prior to that when I was publishing the newsletter or, you know, in the first two and a half years of the newsletter. So for example, I just heard this morning from somebody who said, I'm a nurse, but I've always wanted to be a writer. Um, and I am just interested in what you have to say. So I thought, you know, that's, and that's not that unusual. Like seeing people who come from very, very different walks of life are somehow finding their way to me. And so like we started this conversation talking about energy, you know, is like how I feel drawn to things sometimes. And so those I'm just noticing in a way that I may not have, you know, now that I think about it, maybe that's always been the case, but I've never really paid attention before, or I've never really felt that, that energy from it. Um, but I am noticing that there are people from different walks of life who are sometime, who are somehow stumbling upon me and what I have to say and connecting with it in a way. And so that's a signal, I guess, to me that I think that I should pay attention to it. Am I hearing a, like a, a touch of leadership in there, like marketing and leadership? Or is that, um, like, is, is that kind of the, the shift? Not that it's a break, breakaway, but it's, it's a, it's an, it's a yes and. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, something like that. I'm not sure about leadership per se, or just thinking about, um, you know, leading yourself, leading your life a little, a little bit more. Um, I mean, not differently, but just just with a little bit more intention. I guess is kind of where. I'm yeah. At, so very cool. Yeah. Well, Anne, thank you so much. I could talk to you all day, but you know, we have a weekend and things to do. Uh, and, and I love talking with you. So thank you so, so, so much. And, um, where, I, I mean, if people are probably living under a rock, if they don't know where to find your newsletter, but where can people find your newsletter? Oh, uh, you can go to annhamley.com slash newsletter, or just connect with me on the Twitters or the Instagram or any of those things. Um, yeah, just, or connect with me anywhere, really. Wonderful. 
Cool. Yeah. Well, thank, thank you, Brian. This is a lot of fun. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for joining us this week. If you love this episode, please subscribe. We love having subscribers just like you. Download a few more episodes. And if you feel moved, we would so appreciate a review. I'd love to also hear your key takeaway. What impacted you from this episode? You can tweet me your answer and reach out on Twitter at Brian Kramer. That's Brian with a Y, Kramer with a K. And definitely be sure to join us in our Facebook group. We have just under 3,000 humans just like you and me looking to connect even more imperfectly. Until next time.